in our April series called Making an Appearance, as you've seen. Pastor Reagan kicked us off last week. And in this series, we are looking at Jesus and how he made appearances after his resurrection. In fact, scripture tells us that Jesus was on the earth for 40 days after he resurrected. And in these 40 days, he showed himself to a lot of his disciples and a lot of the followers of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at that. And before we begin, I have a question for everybody. And the question is, and maybe it's because I just, it's just me, but how many of you sitting in the room have ever, it's like something's been so close, like whether it's a person, an event, or something, and like when it happened, you just missed it. You like, you didn't realize what it was when you were doing it, and then you just missed it, and then you only realized what it actually was until after the fact. How many, has that ever happened to, to any of you in here? Well, it's happened to me, and um, one of the, the stories that kind of really I resonate this, you know, kind of happening to me is that when I was 18 years old, my very first job out of high school was at a pretty well-known golf course in, um, in, this, in the area. It's probably not the course you're thinking of, but a very well-known prominent course. And at this course, it was very common for us to have celebrities, um, athletes, different people come in and they told us when I started, because I worked at what they called the halfway house, so it was halfway on the course in between the ninth and the 10th hole, and players would come in after they got done playing, and they would get snacks, drinks, whatever they needed, and I would take care of them, and I was told at the beginning of my job, listen, you can be nice, be friendly, do everything you want to do, but what we want you to do down here, just don't ever ask them their names. Okay, don't, we don't like to do that. We like to pretend like we know everybody. So if you need to ask, you know, ask a caddy, ask somebody else, never ask them. I'm like, done, I can do this, you know. For a very first job, a couple of months in, I go to my job like it was just another ordinary day. I'm sitting down at the halfway house, and before I know it, there are people coming up. I had not expected them. They weren't on the call sheet that day. So here I am. I'm completely surprised about what's happening. So they come in. I noticed very quickly that it looked like there was one player but several people. Now, that's always, if you, where I worked, that was always a little, like, red flag of this might be someone because there's only one person playing, but he's with many people. And so um, these people kind of make themselves at home where I'm working, and immediately the guy, the player, came up to me, and he starts ordering some things, like he wanted a Coke, he wanted this. And I needed to know who this was so that I could get him what he needed, okay? Now, I knew my job was that I couldn't ask him his name. So I was looking for the caddy. The caddy had left. All the other guys that were with him were standing at four corners of the house because they were, I found out, security. And so it was just me and this guy talking. So I proceeded to try to figure out through investigative work who this might be. So I asked him, of course, hi there, what do you do? He was like, he just kind of looked at me weird, you know, at the beginning. He was like, um, well, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I'm like, oh, you're an athlete. That's really cool. What sport do you play? He's like, I play football. And I was like, oh, okay, football. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you look young. What college do you play for? He was like, I don't play college football. And I was like, huh. So I'm looking at him, and I was like, well, is your team any good? And he's like, yeah, our team's pretty good. He kind of looks at me. He goes, you don't know who I am, do you? I was like, no, but if you could tell me your name, that'd be great so I'd get you your Coke. And he was like, my name is Tom Brady. 
And I looked at him and was like, oh, okay. And he goes, you still don't know who I am, do you? I was like, I have no clue who you are. And it wasn't until later that I found out who he was because somebody else told me. And guess what? I missed it. It was right in front of me and I missed it. And hopefully you're a little better than me and you know people a little bit more than I do. But today, the journey that we're going to take is a little bit like the story I just told. Because sometimes it's really easy to miss something that's just right in front of us. And today we're going to learn and be on this journey with these guys who kind of have done the same thing. Because we're talking about making an appearance, the places where Jesus is making himself known after his resurrection. And the story we're going to be looking at today is, I think, one of the most fascinating and vivid accounts of Jesus after he's resurrected and his appearing. And in this story, we're going to travel with two travelers who are on a little dirt road. And they're on a little dirt road towards a place called Emmaus. And so today, it's an incredibly powerful story because, as you'll see, they're kind of like I was. They were in the presence of something they didn't even realize while they were there. And so we're going to jump right in. In fact, the title of my message today is called The Seven Mile Walk. Will you pray with me as we start? Lord, we love you so much. You're such a good God. You're so good. In fact, you're better than we know. So, Lord, we just give you the next couple of minutes that we have together, and we ask that you would move in only the way that you can. Would our hearts be open to receive your word? Would there be good soil, and, Lord, would it produce fruit? In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going on a journey. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, we're going for a walk. We're going for a walk. Maybe you didn't know that. Hopefully you're wearing the right shoes for a walk. I am not, so just, you know, buckle up. Maybe you want to do some light stretching. Um, But we're going to go on a walk. We're going to journey with two people. Now, before we go on this journey, it's actually really important for you to know what's going on in the life of these two travelers, okay? So in order for me to let you know the context of what's happening here, we actually have to go all the way back to the beginning. Because if you've ever read your Bible or maybe you've sat in church or maybe you've heard this before somewhere else, it all starts for us in the book of Genesis, That God created Adam and Eve. He created humans in his likeness. And the goal there was that we would have relationship with him. We would be close with him in the garden. It was perfection. They walked with him. They talked with him. And of course, we all know that sin entered into into the picture. And sin, what it does is it separates us from God. That's what sin does. And because sin came into the garden, now all of us who are human are born into sin. But we need a redeemer. And God, who loves us so much, who created us in his image, had decided already that there was a plan in place. He already knew from the beginning that his goal and his plan was to redeem you and me. And so he set up this plan to send his son. In fact, John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So Jesus, his son, the son of God, was born. The prophets had spoke of what was to come. He was born to a virgin, flawless, sinless, the perfect Lamb of God. The Word became flesh, dwelt here with us, and he walked on the earth. In the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament detail his life, his ministry on earth. And while Jesus was on earth, he did two things. Number one, he taught what the kingdom of God was like. He wanted everyone to know who God was and what his kingdom was. 
He wanted them to know that God has a plan to rescue them. That his kingdom is actually much different than we even can suspect. Because if we want to be great in his kingdom, we have to be a servant. That if in order for us to live in his kingdom, instead of following a ton of rules, what we need to know is we need to love him with everything and to love other people as ourselves. So he's setting up what his kingdom is like through his teaching. But not only did he teach what the kingdom was like, he demonstrated it. He was the perfect demonstration of the character of God. He walked the earth, and he was loving and generous and kind and compassionate. He healed the sick. The lame would walk again. He would heal blind eyes. He would hang out with prostitutes and and tax collectors and people that nobody else would talk to. This is who Jesus chose to be around. And he revealed himself. And while he's doing this, a lot of people are starting to follow him. He's got disciples and followers, and he begins to tell them there is a plan at place. God has called me to redeem you, and that's going to mean that I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And in fact, he would tell his disciples, and Peter, we know, if you read in Matthew, he says, don't talk about this, Jesus. Nobody wants to hear you dying. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you need to get behind me. You're being a stumbling block to the plan that God has, because his goal is to redeem us, and I am the plan. So he tells them this is going to happen. And while the disciples know that this is going to happen, they have no context for it. And their hope is, is that maybe he's just saying something really weird and this is not going to happen. And so as sure enough, because as he said it, it happens, he's turned over to be crucified. And if you read the account in the gospels of his crucifixion, we know that Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, sinless in every way, became sin for us. That he took on the debt that we could not pay for our ransom, and he was crucified. He was beaten and broken and bruised and crucified. And not only would he be crucified and he would die, but they would take his body and they would put it in a tomb, and they would roll a stone in the, in the very entrance of it to seal it. And here are all the disciples and the followers of Jesus. They knew all that this was going to happen, and they're devastated. This is not how they thought it was going to happen. Even though he said, this is what's going to happen, they, they're like, surely there's another way. Surely God's going to do it some other kind of way. And sure enough, what he said came true, and they're living in this disappointment because they feel lost and confused and probably abandoned by God. And so these women who have been following Jesus, they come with spices He was crucified on a Friday. On Sunday morning, they would come with spices ready to anoint his body. And when they get to the tomb, they find that it is empty. And not only is it empty, but there are two angels that appear before these women. And the angels say, what are you doing? Why are you looking for a living God in a dead place? He's not here. He's risen. Remember when you were with him in Galilee, he told you this was going to happen. He said he was going to be crucified and he was going to rise on the third day. Why are you here? Why are you looking for a living God in dead places? And so these women, they're so like excited and, you know, it's crazy and confusing. And so they run back to the 11 disciples and the followers of Jesus and they start to tell them, hey, this is what we saw. We saw these two angels and this is what they said to us. And as they're telling these people, what's happening, we see in Luke 24, 11, it says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. 
They had no idea of how this was going to happen. They, they, they still didn't have an understanding, even though his body wasn't there and the stone was rolled away, they still were like, it's gone. It's, it's, it's hopeless. Like, what we thought was going to happen isn't happening. We thought that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and he was going to deliver us from the Romans. We thought we were going to be free. We thought it was going to happen instantaneously. And look, it's not happening. We haven't seen him. And so they're hopeless. They're in despair. And this is the place that we find these two travelers that we're going to journey with. Now, it's very interesting because while the disciples and followers of Jesus are devastated and hopeless and felt abandoned by God simultaneously, you know what is happening? Jesus indeed did rise from the dead. He is risen. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave. Heaven is cheering. Hell is trembling. And all this is happening. God has resurrected from the dead. And do you know what Jesus does on the day that he resurrects from the dead? I know if it were me, I would probably hold a large event where multiple people can see it. And I would be like, boom. And I would invite all the Roman soldiers that crucified me. And I'd be like, in your face. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, on the day of his resurrection, with only 40 days left on the earth to prove that he is indeed risen, decides to go on a walk. That's what he does. Probably wouldn't be what I would do, but he's God. He goes on a walk. And so, today, we're going to go on a walk. We're going to go on a journey with two people. Are you ready? Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 13. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to journey together through these passages. And then after we do that, we're going to talk through some lessons that this journey teaches us. Are you ready? Because here's the thing. It's important for you to know that this is both a literal journey, as in this literally happened, but this is also a representation of the spiritual journey that each of us has with Jesus, okay? So we're going to start in verse 13, and it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now it's Resurrection Sunday, and these two unnamed people right now are headed towards a village called Emmaus. Now, how many of you in the room have ever been to Israel? Raise your hand. I'm very jealous of you, okay? Please tell me all the things. It's like a dream of mine to go to Israel. And while I've never been, I love like listening to people who have gone, watching videos about it. Just, it's so interesting. And I was listening to this pastor who leads several trips to Israel. And he was saying that he's been to the, the village of Emmaus. And he walked the road and he saw Emmaus. And he said, and if you go to Israel and you take a tour, if you have a tour guide, they'll tell you when you get there, like, yeah, like, there's Emmaus. He goes, but what I have found is, is if you have a really honest tour guide, they'll tell you, we think this might be Emmaus. Because Emmaus was so insignificant at that time. There was nothing crazy happening there, nothing that anybody should care, that there's really no archaeological evidence that Emmaus might be this place. They just assume. So on the day that Jesus has resurrected, these two people, some scholars believe that it might be a husband and a wife. Some scholars believe that maybe it's two friends. Either way, these people knew Jesus. They followed him. 
And they are on their way to a village called Emmaus. They are walking from Jerusalem to this place, to a very insignificant place. It's important for us to realize they're walking away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a place that Jesus had been crucified. It's interesting because if they had believed what Jesus said, that he was going to rise from the dead, why would they be walking away from the place of promise? We don't know why they're going to Emmaus. Actually, the Bible never tells us. But I think that you and I can safely guess that part of the reason why, and probably the total reason why they're going to Emmaus is because they're done. What they thought was going to happen didn't happen the way it was supposed to, or at least the way they thought it should. And now they're upset, and they're hopeless, and they're filled with despair. They gave everything they had to follow Jesus. Now they feel completely abandoned by him, and they're done. They've decided that they're going to go home. They're done with the journey. They're going to stop. They just want to go home. And... It's so interesting because all the while, while these two guys are devastated and hopeless and they're walking away from the place of promise, we're going to find that Jesus actually meets with them. This is where he chooses to go. In verse 15, he goes on to say, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, they're walking and they're talking, as friends do, and they're probably discussing all the things that they have seen at this point. It's a seven-mile journey. There's a lot of time. They're probably talking about the things that they have seen God do, that Jesus, he really did heal people, that blind eyes really were opened. The woman with the issue of blood was healed. They're talking about all these things. They're also probably talking about, can you believe that he actually was crucified? that they would take our Savior and they would nail him to a cross for us and look at all these things that have happened. This is what they're talking about. And as they're talking and discussing all of these things, Jesus finds them. They didn't invite him to walk with them. They didn't call on his name. They're just walking. They're just doing their life, and Jesus finds them. Now, in the Scripture, it says their eyes were kept from seeing him. Now, so a little bit of theology here. Some scholars, now these, these are people who study the Bible, there are many opinions as to why they did not recognize that it was Jesus. Some scholars believe that God himself kept them from seeing him as Jesus. Now, this probably could have been, maybe, maybe God wanted them to be honest because he knew, if it, they knew that it was Jesus, they wouldn't really say how they were really feeling because they would have like, been proper, right? They would never say that in front of Jesus. Or maybe God wants to reveal himself in a new way to them. Because these people would have walked and talked. They would have seen Jesus in the flesh. So maybe he wants to meet with them in a different way. Maybe they were kept from seeing him because of their disappointment. Their lack of faith. They had no context for someone raising from the dead. They weren't expecting him to be on the walk as they head home. Away from Jesus. Away from the promise. They had no idea that this would happen. So maybe in their utter grief and loss and sadness, they couldn't even see him. Either way, they can't recognize that it's him. It goes on in verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, I don't know about you, but I think the Bible is really funny. <laughs> because Jesus is here with them, 
And he's asking them, hey, what's going on? What y'all talking about, you know? It's like, that's so ironic. Like, they're talking about Jesus, who is with them, and how he's not there, and just, it's crazy, right? He says, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, so we get the first name, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And it's so funny, because Cleopas is literally telling Jesus, we're talking about Jesus. Why don't you know what's going on? The very person in whom it happened to. He's like, Why? like, don't you understand? This is so funny. And what's interesting is that when Jesus walks up to them, it says that they stood still. They stopped. And Jesus stopped with them. And it describes that their faces were downcast, which means they were really sad. And Jesus, he's not afraid of their sadness. He's not afraid of their disappointment. He's not mad because they're skeptical because things haven't happened the way that they thought it would. And instead, he enters into it. He enters into their sadness. Their disappointment and their doubt doesn't scare him away. In fact, that's the place where he wants to meet them. He wants them to be honest about where they're at. And he goes on, verse 19, he says, What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this stuff has taken place. In addition, some of our women have amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found that it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So Cleopas goes on to a long conversation with Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't stop him. Jesus listens to him. And it's interesting because right here we see exactly where they're at, which is what Jesus had intended all along, for them to be very honest about where they're at. Because we see that the hope that they once possessed is now in past tense. Because they said, well, he was a prophet. Not he is a prophet. We believe he's going he's gonna to rise again. We're waiting on him. They're like, he was a prophet. He did all these things and he was crucified and we had hoped he was going to be our redeemer. That's what we had hoped, but look at what's happening. He's not here with us. They can't even find his body. Like, this is, this is the state of where they're at. And they were expecting a conquering Christ, and what they got was a crucified Christ. And now here on the road, their hearts are laid open, and they're really honest about what's going on. They're sad, and they're disappointed. They're wondering why God has done this. Why did we leave everything to follow him, and this would be what had happened? This is not what we believed this is not what we had hoped for. And he goes on in verse 25, it says, He said to them, this is Jesus, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus is walking along, their hearts are revealed, and he rebukes them a little bit. 
He said, why are you so slow to believe? And he's not even saying about what Jesus said and what you saw. He said, he's saying, all the scriptures have been pointing to this. All the things that you would know have been pointing to this very thing. Why are you slow to believe? He's rebuking them a little bit. But guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't go, you know what, get away from me. Obviously, you guys didn't make the cut. You couldn't figure it out. You know, like, it's fine. No. Jesus actually starts a Bible study with them. <laughs> He's like, okay, it, it breaks my heart that you're slow to believe, but let me explain it to you. So he gets out scripture. He starts talking through scripture. And he says, starting with Moses and all the prophets, he begins to point them in his direction. Look, this is what they said. When they said this, this is what it meant. When God told Moses, go and get my people because I have a plan to redeem them, it was pointing to me. When Isaiah was talking about the suffering servant in, in Isaiah 53, that he would be broken and crushed with, by our iniquities, it was me. This is what he's doing. He's pointing and he's telling them, listen, it's me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that you can trust. I'm the one that you can walk to. All the prophets were pointing to me. Here it is. And he broke it down on the way. On the journey, Jesus breaks it down. And I feel like so many of us, why I love this so much, is because for so many of us, we're waiting to start our relationship with God because we, we, we can't, can't quite start it yet because we don't have all the answers. We can't fully prove him and fully tell everybody all the scriptures as to why, so we're just waiting. And what I see here is that God, he's not asking us to wait. He's saying, you'll figure it out on the journey. If you journey with me, I'll show you. I'm going to show you these things. Because the, 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 the Christian life is a journey. It's not a destination. Like so many of us, we get saved and we stop there. That's the starting block. That's the starting line. We're in a journey. And this is what Jesus is showing us. He goes on in verse 28 and he sa it says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So Jesus, he's walking with these two people, these two travelers. He starts to have a Bible study with them. They get to Emmaus, where these guys need to go, where these travelers need to go. And Jesus just acts like, okay, well, I'll see you guys later. Like, have at it, you know? And these two people are so enthralled. What they have experienced has touched them so much that they beg this person, stay with us. We need you. Don't leave. So Jesus says, okay, which is just like our spiritual journey. Because let me tell you, on the journey that God wants to have with you, he will not force himself in. You have to invite him. He will show himself to you. He will, he will show you his goodness, but you have to do the inviting. He will not do it. And this is what it shows us. But they knew that they needed him. There was something about being in the presence of Jesus that they knew this was, I need, I need this. Don't leave us. Don't leave us. They begged him, don't leave us. And so Jesus was invited in, but guess what? Once he was invited in, he made himself the host. Because it says, then he took the bread. He was supposed to be a guest. He wasn't supposed to take the bread and bless it and thank it and give it out. He was one of the ones that should have been served. And that's what happens when we invite him into our lives. He now takes over. 
He is, he is it. Everything is around him. And it's so interesting because in Jewish customs, when they would have taken this bread and they would have done that, he would have held the bread up, he would have broken it like this, and he would have served it in this way. Now, it's interesting because in this story, we see that they're not, they don't recognize that as Jesus until this act happens. A lot of scholars believe maybe the reason why at once they were able to see that it was Jesus was because when he did like this with the bread for the first time, they could see the scars on his hands. And they knew this is the one. It was him. We knew there was something different about him. And all at once it says they recognized him. Then they go on, it says, then they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned to, at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. These two travelers who were hopeless, they felt like there was no way, they were completely done, they were going home, they were calling it quits, they were throwing in the towel. They see Jesus explains to him who he is on this journey. He shows them, like, these are the things that had to happen, and they're realizing all along, this is what happened. And then as they see his scars, they realize it's him. And when they notice and recognize that it's him, it's over. They go back in. They take the seven-mile journey again. They didn't wait for the next day. They go because they're so excited. And this is an example and a picture of what our spiritual journey is like with God. And there's so many things that we can learn about this story. And while there are so many things, we're going to look at three today. Three pretty big lessons that we can learn from this walk. Now, the first lesson is this. Jesus seeks us. I hope that you realize that as we were going through this story. Because what I love most is that Jesus walks up and he finds them. They didn't invite him. They didn't call him and say, hey, we're going on a walk. He finds them. So Jesus is seeking us. All they were doing is they were walking. They were doing life and Jesus finds them. And that makes sense because the Bible, the fullness of it, presents to us a God who is on the move. He wants you. In fact, he wants you so much that the word talks about that he demonstrated his love that while you were a sinner, he sent his son to die for you. It talks about him being a good shepherd who leaves the 99 for the one. God is a God who is on the move. He's looking for you. And what I love about this story is that if you take it at face value, it is two insignificant people. I've never once, when I read the Bible, heard of Cleopas, and we don't even know the other person's name, two insignificant people going to a really insignificant place that modern people can't even fully put on a map, and yet this is where Jesus goes 40 days that he has left on the earth. This is who he's with. Now, I think the reason why this is so important is because our culture, what it tells us or what it indoctrinates us with is this idea that in order for me to fully journey with God, I have to be perfect and put together, that I have to have everything, you know, nice and neat. I need to have gifts and talents that he can use. I need to be like something. 
Because culture, it, it kind of highlights the celebrity culture. You're nothing unless you, like, you have followers. People are looking at you. You've got something to give. And Jesus, because of course he would, he turns it all, he flips it upside down. And what he does after he's resurrected, there should have been the greatest party happening ever. And he goes and meets with two insignificant people on an insignificant road because he's seeking them. Because he's decided, I want you to know. I want you to know what you have believed. It is true. Here I am. And he wants to reveal himself. And I think this is really important because I think it matters to us today. Because the same God who, who went seeking these two travelers is the same God who's here today who wants to meet with you. We don't believe that it is by chance that you would walk in this room and that you would sit wherever it is that you've chosen to sit. But how amazing is it that our God wants to speak to you? He wants you to know he's seeking you. And in fact, any curiosity that you might possibly have of him, he gave you to begin with. That's how much he loves you. He's coming after you. He's not going to let you stay. He's not going to let you stay where you're at. You're not insignificant. You're, there's nothing that you need to do to get ready to be on this journey with God. All you have to do is believe. Believe that he is good and that he's looking for you. Believe that even if you don't have all the answers and you can't prove it to a T and have all kinds of graphs, that he's going to show it to you on the journey. But this is where it starts for all of us. That while you weren't even looking for him, he was looking for you. The second lesson that we learn on this walk is that Jesus can be found in our disappointment. You know, I think that so many of us, this is where we're scared and sometimes where we can hide in our relationship with God. Because the reality is, is that in this life, it's hard. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trouble. And we all go through trouble. We have things that happen to us that we weren't prepared for. Things that happen that seem like they're detours on the path that God had for us. Like we're not where we should have been. This isn't how we thought things were going to look. This happens to, to all of us. And I love that in this story, Jesus walks into their disappointment. He's not scared of it. He's not put off by it. He doesn't even rebuke it. He walks into it. The disappointment doesn't scare him away. Your skepticism doesn't, doesn't scare him away. In fact, he wants to step into it with you. On the day of his resurrection, where there should have been a really big party, he goes and walks with two really sad people. That's not how I would celebrate. But that's what Jesus does. Because he's okay with our disappointment. They had built their hope on something that didn't play out the way that they thought. They had thought the Messiah was going to come. And while he was going to perform many miracles, he was going to free them from Roman rule. That's what they wanted. They were tired of the heavy taxation. They were tired of not being able to worship freely. Of being under a pagan um, culture that was godless. They didn't want that. And so they had thought, surely he's him and he's going to do this for us. But see, this is what disappointment is, isn't it? Disappointment is just unmet expectations. It's when I thought that this was going to go a certain way, I thought things were going to look a certain way, and now they don't. 
And maybe you're like them. And you're sitting here today, and if you're brutally honest, and we could sit down and talk, you would say, I'm just like them in the sense that I want to walk home and forget it all. I'm done. I'm done traveling this road. I'm done. It's not turning out the way I thought it would. I didn't think this was going to happen. And this is exactly where these guys are, right? Because they said we had hoped he was going to be the redeemer. That's what we had hoped. Then how many of you guys are sitting here today and this is probably exactly what's going through your mind? I had hoped that this would be over by now. I had hoped that I wouldn't still be at the same place that I was. I had hoped that I would be free by now. I had hoped my kids, who I raised the best I could, are following Jesus. I had hoped that that wouldn't be the case. I had hoped that that wouldn't have been the diagnosis that I would have been given. I had hoped that they would be healed. I had hoped that I would have gotten to that college. I had hoped my parents could have worked it out. I had hoped that this relationship was going to work and we're signing divorce papers. I had hoped that I wasn't going to be alone. I had hoped I was going to be more financially secure than I am right now. I had hoped. This is where a lot of us live. The problem is, is sometimes in church, we know how to button ourselves up and sit on, the front, uh, sit on a pew and pretend like we're all good. But this is, this is actually what God wants to step into. He's not scared of your disappointment. He's not scared that you hoped it would turn out differently, and it's not. But I can also tell you this, he's not done. In fact, somebody in here needs to hear this, that God is not done. You have walked two miles, and you're ready to call it quits, but this was a seven-mile journey. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. God wants to show himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Don't stop. you got to keep going. Because maybe you are on a detour. Guess what? God is a God of detours too. This is how this life looks. So many times in this, in this Christian life, we can stand up here and we can tell people, just love Jesus and serve him and everything's going to be good. Let me tell you, that's not the life that I have experienced. I have loved him a lot of my life and I have experienced unbelievable pain and grief. There have been things that I have gone through and I have asked God, where are you? Do you care? That is the truth. You will, in this life, go through valleys. In fact, a lot of our Christian life is lived in them. The problem is, is we all want the mountaintops. The mountaintops are what's fun. The mountaintops is where we can celebrate and it feels good. But guess what is built in the valleys? It is your dependence on God. It is your knowing that he is with you when you go. That even if you can't see him or perceive him, he is still present. He hasn't left you. He hasn't neglected you. He hasn't thrown you aside. He's still working all things together for good. That he has a plan and a future for you. And it's really, really good. This is where it's built. We don't like valleys, and we normally don't preach about them because it's depressing. <laughs> but we all go through them, and we got to get really real about it. It's okay for you to sit in here and be hurt and angry and confused, but still want to serve him. In fact, this is where I feel like God shows up in our lives the most powerful way. In fact, it has been in the times of grief and despair where I have felt the presence of God because I'm choosing to seek him anyways, even when I don't understand and it is hard, and I am picking my feet up, and I'm having to help them because they don't want to keep walking, and I want to do just like these two travelers, and I want to go home and call it quits. 
I'm tired of having to explain things to people. I'm tired of always feeling the same way. I hate that I come into every conversation and I feel like I'm dealing with the same thing I was dealing with a week ago and it just feels like it'll never stop. This is exactly where God wants to meet you. And I believe that he's brought you here today so that you know not to stop walking. Keep journeying with him. He loves you. He's seeking you. He cares about you, and he is not going to let you go. You keep walking. He's always present. And the last lesson that I think we learn in this story is the lesson that Jesus uses Scripture to open our eyes. Now, Pastor Reagan talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not going to harp on this too much. But I think it's so interesting that God, Jesus, in flesh, is with these two two travelers. And he decides that he's going to teach them the Bible. He wants them to know it's not about touching and feeling and what you can see. It's also about realizing that everything you need to know, I have given you in my word and you can trust it. So many of us try to serve God wanting God to give us signs. I'll serve you if you give me that. I'll do that thing if you show me that. But the problem is, if he did it, it wouldn't last. That's not a faith that lasts. Because then you would need another one for the next thing he tells you to do. But what God wants you to do is trust him at his word. That he is good. He's a promise. He keeps his promises. That's the God he is. He's faithful and he's good. You only know that by being in your word. We have to be on this journey. In fact... I have a video testimony that we're going to play of a student in our youth ministry, actually, who who found herself on the same journey that we're all probably on. So we're going to listen to it. Her name is Nicole. So here we go. My name is Nicole Madera. I'm a senior in high school, and I am 17 years old. Well, I think before I started um, really getting into my Bible and things, I would just feel stressed about everything. I didn't really have a peace of mind. Everything was just gobbled up. I had so many things to do, and it really was burning me out. I just felt like it was never ending. And I didn't have a time where I could just sit down and be at peace, because even if I was sitting down, I was thinking about all the things I wasn't doing. And I think my relationship with God, like I knew God and I've been coming to church my whole life, but I wasn't really going through the motions of reading my Bible or actively trying to get closer to Him. So it was just kind of like a void, like an empty void that I had. Well, through church, I knew that He loved me and I knew all the things, but I didn't really feel it. So although I had the knowledge because I went to church, it, it was just something I knew. Ever since then, reading my Bible was just not happening. I did not want to open it. I would open it and it would be like, God, die, and I'd be like, okay, you know, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I think going into 2023, I mean, you know, every, there's always a New Year's and every year everyone's like, oh, my New Year's resolution. But I'm not really about New Year's resolution. I was like, it's another day. Like, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about, oh, maybe this year I should fix my relationship with God. It was just, it's another year. We're going to get through it. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, so it was Wednesday. Of course, I came to youth, and the sermon was mainly on Bible and how important it is to read your Bible and what can happen and the benefits of it, and even what can happen if we don't read our Bible. So that was kind of like that that day. And I remember that you gave out your free Bibles, because I feel like 
the Bibles I had weren't understandable to me. Like I'd read them, I'd be like, I don't understand what I read. But the Bible that we got at youth, it explained everything and it was in an easier version to read. And I felt like I was comprehending and understanding everything a lot better. And, it, and I could even like had a space on the side where I can write notes down. So it was really nice. Okay, so I was like, yes, I'm gonna read my Bible. And um, so, but then I was like, where do I start? Like there's so many books and there's so many chapters. But I was like, you know what, let's start in Genesis. Like first book of the Bible. I start reading and you know, God created the heavens and earth. I, I knew all that, right? But I thought it was gonna be like, oh, I can't wait till I stop reading my Bible because I didn't like reading my Bible. But it it was so weird because I found myself reading like five to 10 chapters. And it was to the point where I had to stop myself because I had to go to sleep. But it was so weird that I like got hooked into it. And I thought it was gonna be something that like, I wasn't gonna like, but it was, it was really nice. Well, reading my Bible, I felt, even from the first time I read it, I felt like a sense of peace, which is something I struggled with. Like I said, I was always stressed with things, and I just felt like that was a time where I really wasn't thinking about everything I wasn't doing, but I was just in my Word. And it was just a time that I could have with God. So it was really nice that I could, for the first time, have a peace of mind. And that was when I was reading my Bible. Well, like I said, it gave me a peace of mind. And I feel like not even, it's, I mean, yes, it happens when I read my Bible, but I feel like even outside of reading my Bible, in other situations, I was not as stressed about things. I could calm down. Maybe I could pray about things. I could bring things to God more easily. And even encouraging my friends and other people around me to read my Bible, because now I can see how good it is to me and all the benefits that I'm getting, that I can encourage other people to read their Bible as well. Coming from a person who felt the same way for a lot of my life, even though I went to church my whole life, I would say it's just even putting a little effort into it and it'll feel so good and He will meet you in any of your problems, you just bring it to Him. And it's a matter of just putting effort. And even though it's hard and even though it sucks and even though you don't wanna do it, which I totally understand, you just have to do it and you just have to start. And once you start, it'll become way more easier to be consistent with it. And sometimes it'll still get hard, but it'll get somewhat easier. I just learned about His goodness and how good He is to people. And even what happens when we might not obey, because in the Bible there's, there's stories of what happens when people haven't obeyed God, but just mainly learning how good He is and how merciful He is. And even when people doubted Him, and even when people were like, there's no way God made a way. So, yeah. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What a powerful story of a student who is all, probably on a similar journey that you and I find ourselves on, right? A student who was thinking, I don't have peace, I feel overwhelmed, I don't know how I'm gonna make it. 
And so she decides to read the Bible. And it comes to be this journey that she's taking with the Lord. It's funny because I talked to her a lot about it. And we'll now we talk about like, I didn't realize when it said this, it meant this. And now it connects here. And it's, it's this life-giving thing that happens. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you through his word. This is how we develop a personal relationship with him. And so many of us, we are not picking it up. And we all have excuses, right? We're busy. There's other things to do. I can't think of something that's more important than meeting with the God of the universe. And you have access to it every single day. If you want to know God more and you want to know what he's like, if you want to know his promises, to see his faithfulness, you got to be in it. You got to be in it. And there is this thing that happens. Nicole kind of described it a little bit. It's like as you get into it, it kind of becomes so life-giving that you get a little addicted to be in it. And then before you know it, you're seeing God in other places, and now you want to pray. And now you're seeing, oh, well, when he said that, and when they said this, and you're giving encouragement to people, whatever that is, God wants you to be on this journey with him. So I want you to stand as we close. Here's the thing. The question this morning is, is do you know him? Do you really, really know Jesus in a real way? Do you know that he loves you? That he loves you so much that while you were dead in sin, that he sent his son to die for you? Do you know that he is not scared about your disappointment? He isn't scared about the hopelessness that you're feeling today. He isn't scared that you had hope one thing and it's turned out to be something else. He's not scared that you're questioning. He's not scared about any of that. In fact, he wants to enter into it with you. Maybe you're here today and maybe the next step for you on this journey that we're all on is to be all in. It is reading his word. It is trusting him. It's praying. It's worshiping. So that this, it's not just this thing that you talk about sometimes, but it is a thing that you are living, that it's life-giving, that you have peace that doesn't make sense. When you're going through testing, that you trust God, that you know, hey, listen, I can't see him, but I know that he's here and he's walking with me. That even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil because I know that he's with me. Do you know that today? Because I can tell you that is the God who wants to meet with you today. And he is here today. If you are at a place where maybe you're sitting here and if you were honest, you were thinking, I want to quit. I want to give up. I'm done with this life. I'm done trying to figure this out. I'm so broken and hurt. I just want to quit. Don't quit. Stay on the journey. This was seven miles. Don't quit before God is done. Don't quit. So I'm going to pray for you. If you're sitting in the room and maybe today you have been curious about God, but if you're honest, you've never made a decision to follow him. Or maybe at one point you followed him, but if you were really honest, he's not the Lord of your life. Can I tell you something? He wants to meet you today. And in fact, you can make that decision sitting right there in your chair because there was one time where I did the same exact thing. Paul talks about that salvation comes 
from believing that we were sinners and we needed a savior, that Christ came and he died for our sins and he rose again. And then there's a confession that we make him Lord of our life and you will be saved. It is a free gift for you. And it starts with faith. It's believing, even if you don't have it all figured out. And you can do that right there in your seat. But if you wanna come up here to this altar, I would encourage you to do it. God wants to meet you here, but I'm gonna pray for all of us that we would leave today encouraged, strengthened in our journey, that we're gonna keep walking. We're not gonna stop. We're gonna keep journeying. Even if we don't see him, even if today we're in a valley, we're gonna hold his hand knowing that he is going to show up. Do you believe it today? I wanna pray for you. Lord, we love you, God. You are so good. In fact, you are better than we know. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room. If there is someone who showed up today, God, and they're thinking, if they were honest, they feel so insignificant and so tiny that how could you even care? God, I pray today that they would leave with a revelation that you love them, that you have sought them, that you wanna speak to them, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's someone in the room, God, whose hopes have been demolished, it feels like grief has taken over and it feels like they, it just feels like there's nothing good left. Lord, would you show them that you are good, that you are found in the disappointment, that you will trade them your joy, God, not happiness, but joy that comes from knowing you and being in relationship with you, Jesus. I pray today that maybe we would be honest about where we're at. God, maybe there's some of us in this room and God, we just need to take a step. We need to take a step of faith. We have been circling. We've been dipping our toes in it. We're afraid, but God, today, would we take that step? We invite you in to be the Lord of our life, God. And God, maybe we're sitting here today and the next step of faith that we need to do is we just need to be in your word. We need to be dedicated and disciplined, God, in meeting you every day. God, would you give us a hunger and a desire for your word? Would it transform our lives, Jesus? You are so good. Would you meet us here today, God? We thank you, God, for your word, that it is alive and active. God, would it bear fruit in our lives? We love you. In Jesus' name.